Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 28 Marlow looked no different from the day she'd left erstwhile, as if she hadn't just been on a week's-long journey. Her hips still strained against the tightness of her leggings, and her face was still stuck in a perpetual half-snarl that made you want to stare and quickly look away all at once. She had her rapier in hand, pointed at Aelin, who seemed frozen between drawing his axe and lunging toward Emma. Marla's speaker stood beside her, looking as unstable as ever. His blinding glasses were off, and he was looking to Marla with adoration in his eyes, seeming about ready to burst as he anticipated a command from her. Hellar was there as well, along with Trunnell, who was muttering as Hellar whispered into his ear. Rox was swaying back and forth, clearly being held back from action by the influencer's words. Hellar must have seen the secret entrance earlier when he'd alerted the cityless and run to Marla, or perhaps they'd already been together and Baz hadn't seen her earlier. Obviously, they'd seen their chance to find spoken books never before unearthed in all the trials, though the surprise in Hellar's face obviously showed that he found far more than he'd bargained for. Marla seemed much less taken aback by the revelation that there was a whole society living beneath the great library. Let's keep this simple. Who's in charge here? Tessa's hands were clenched into fists atop the table, but she rose with the grace of a duchess. I am the leader of these humble people, she said, only a hint of rage evident in her tone. I'm sure we can work out an arrangement if you just release the young lady. Marla laughed, a sound equivalent to that of having your body submerged in icy water. You aren't in a position to dictate terms, Marla said. I'll tell you what's going to happen. First, you're going to order the room cleared, or I start killing people. Tessa stared back at Marla, the same cold stare with which she'd so often favored Baz on her face. She didn't respond. Wretch, Marla snapped. Her speaker grinned, a line of drool dripping from one corner of his mouth. Marla looked down to the spoken book upon the lectern hanging around her neck and spoke a few sentences in the language of creation, ending with what was obviously a stop rune. Wretch repeated them as he stared from the balcony toward the tables of the sanctum. Roots sprang from the ground beneath a nearby table and wrapped themselves about one of the scriveners, tightening until the man's face began to purple. All right, Tessa shouted, all right! But the roots didn't stop. Soon, 
Everyone in the chamber could hear the scrivener's bones cracking and see the blood streaming from his eyes, nose, and mouth. The fatal embrace left no air for the man to scream, but his twisted face spoke of his pain as loud as any cry. Finally, the roots began to recede back into the ground, leaving little more than bloody pulp where the scrivener had been. Tessa stared at the spot in horror for several long moments. Finally, without taking her eyes from the gore, she said, Everyone out! All the cityless in the chamber's upper tier scurried for the side passages. The ones who were still on the middle balcony where Baz and Rox had entered made toward the door through which they'd originally entered. No, Marla said, pointing at those latter cityless. You head up, deeper in. I won't have you setting a trap at the exit. They stopped, looking uncertain. Aelin, hand on his axe, looked to Tessa. Madam Scrivener? Do as she says, Aelin, up to the residences with the rest of us. But go, now! Tessa's tone left no room for negotiation. Aelin cast a final pained look in Emma's direction before leading the cityless up a flight of stairs and disappearing from view. Meanwhile, the scriveners down in the sanctum, where Baz still sat, scurried out a door on the end of the chamber opposite the pit of shelves. That left on the middle balcony just Marla and her speaker and harbor, who still held Emma captive, Hellar and Trunnel, and rocks, still under Trunnel's influence. Below, in the sanctum, only Tessa and Baz remained. Now, Marla said, sounding so pleased, Baz wished she was close enough to punch in her arrogant face. I'll be needing some of your books. Marla stared like a lust-filled lover at the pit's shelves. Tessa's lips thinned. I'm afraid you can't have any of those. Oh, Marla said, her face drooping into a mocking pout. Well, then I'm afraid this young chit here can't be having any more life. Ryle? No, wait, Tessa said, reaching out toward her daughter. You don't understand. You literally cannot have them. Marla just shook her head as if scolding a young child. Baz saw where this was going, and it wasn't anywhere good for Emma. He also saw a potential route out, though it exchanged Emma's poor prospects for ones that would likely prove equally poor for Baz. Bloody burning books! Why could he never just keep his eyes down and mouth shut? Reader Marla! he cried out, dropping from his chair to his knees, holding his hands out before him in an imploring gesture. Marla looked as if his presence surprised her. Ah, Torchsire's speaker! So you survived after all. I'm glad. We have some unfinished business. Where is your master? She looked around the chamber, suddenly suspicious. They killed him, Baz said, in what he hoped sounded like a mournful wail. We what? snapped Tessa. Oh, stop your lies, evil woman, Baz cried out, jabbing a finger at Tessa. They killed him, Reader Marla. These terrible cityless killed Reader Deliritus, and now they lie to you. Lie to me? Marla asked, scowling in Tessa's direction. Yes, oh yes, Baz said, 
As an afterthought, he averted his eyes from Marla's direction, hoping he looked subservient. Those books are free for your taking. I've seen it. Marla considered him, seeming skeptical. She looked over to the peninsula, extending into the pit's darkness. Fetch one for me, then. Oh, I I couldn't do that, reader. She rolled her eyes. You have my permission to touch one of them. Just don't open it. Baz's mind raced. That wouldn't do. Speaker Marla, please don't misunderstand me. I would obey if I could, but it requires a reader and a speaker to access them. You saw that one captured back home. Some of them can actually read. Baz shuddered in what he hoped appeared to be a mixture of fear and disgust. Marla continued to study him, pursing her lips. She opened her mouth, and Baz was certain she was prepared to doubt him. He cowered away from her gaze, practically throwing himself upon the ground, shaking as if terrified of her. That wasn't too difficult an act, as she was perhaps the scariest person he'd ever encountered. He shut his eyes and waited. Very well, she sighed. I'll come down, and you will show me, or I'll have your eyes. Oh, yes, yes, Baz said, practically prostrate on the cold stone floor. I will do as you say, reader Marla. Wait a moment, Marla, Hilar said. I'll be needing some books as well. We go together. Baz looked up toward the balcony. Marla smiled, an expression that curdled the blood. Of course, Hilar, of course, we will share. She turned her smile to him, and he returned it. Then she lashed out with her rapier and cut Hellar's throat. For a moment, the smile remained on Hellar's face. Then it turned to confusion, then horror as the blood began pouring from the wound like a waterfall down his front. He grasped at his neck frantically, as if he could keep his life inside, red covering his fingers. He looked to Trunnell, who faltered in the influencing spell he'd been using to hold rocks in place. Hellar fell to his knees, gagging. Wretch, snapped Marla, before muttering a verse from her book, much shorter than the one she'd used to kill the Scrivener, and ending once more with a stop rune. Her speaker repeated it, and before Rox could recover from the stupor under which Trunnell had held him, Roots sprang up from the ground and held fast his feet. Marla let out a long breath, smiling first at Rox, then at Hellar's still struggling form on the ground. Ah, she said, cracking her neck from side to side. That's better. It was getting rather crowded up here. She headed down the stairs while Hellar was still twitching in a pool of his own blood. Baz got up, trying not to dwell on the murder he'd just witnessed. He faced the peninsula that led out into the darkness toward the shelves upon shelves of books. "'What do you think you're doing?' hissed Tessa. Baz's back was to Marla, so she couldn't see him respond as she approached. "'For once,' he said in a low voice, "'I'm trusting someone. I hope I don't regret it.' Before Tessa could reply, Marla reached them. She smiled at Baz. Then she backhanded him across the mouth, 
sending Baz sprawling to the floor. That is for the impudence you showed me earlier. Thank the scribes it wasn't a dagger to your heart. Now show me how to access the books. Baz had bitten his tongue and resisted the urge to spit blood on Marla's boots. Instead, he scrambled up, averting his gaze from Marla and muttering, Thank you, reader, thank you, and right this way, right this way. As they walked, Baz chanced a glance at Marla. Hunger showed in her eyes as she surveyed the wall of books. Undoubtedly, she was dreaming of the riches that now awaited her back in erstwhile. Baz resisted the urge to take a steadying breath when they reached the opening in the barrier that separated the sanctum from the darkness beyond. He paused, doubting even now whether this was wise. But when Marla began to turn a questioning glare at him, he stepped forward. No more time to think. She followed him. It was probably his imagination, but his skin seemed to go icy as he crossed over onto the peninsula. He walked all the way to the platform's edge to be sure Marla followed him, then turned to face her. She waited several moments. When he did nothing, she frowned. Well, slave, don't keep me waiting. What do I do now? Bass shrugged, dropping his act. He'd been holding his hat in his hands all this time, and now replaced it on his head, giving the brim a tug for good measure as it settled upon his scalp. He met Marla's eyes with what he hoped was a smile as chilling as the one she'd given Hellar. Now you die, he said. She narrowed her eyes at him, slowly realizing that he'd been playing with her the whole time. You impudent scamp! I ought to have known better, with the lack of discipline Deliritus instilled in you. She drew her rapier, Hellar's blood still glistening on the slender blade. Baz looked around, heart dropping. Nothing was happening. Marla wasn't writhing in pain, hadn't been struck dead, didn't even appear agitated beyond her ire over his trickery. It seemed Tessa was just a mad woman after all. Marla raised her sword, preparing to bring it down across Baz's jugular, same as she'd done to Hellar. He didn't bother to flinch. There was nothing but open air behind him and no way to get around Marla. Apparently, this had been a bad idea. He ought to have known better than to put his trust in someone else. Marla's sword began to fall. But as it did, what seemed no more than a breath of dark mist puffed up from the depths of the pit and floated into Marla's side. She flinched as if struck by a great weight. Her rapier still slashed forward, but it came up well short of Baz, drawing sparks as it impacted the platform. He nearly jumped back anyway, a movement that would have sent him plummeting into the darkness. Windmilling his arms, Baz just maintained his balance. More dark clouds wafted up from the abyss, floating into Marla. Her body reeled to and fro, and she dropped to her knees, crying out in pain. She screamed over and over. Back in the sanctum, Ryle tossed Emma to the ground and vaulted the railing, running toward Marla. 
But Marla had made a mistake. She'd rooted rocks to the floor, but in her haste had left his arms free. The giant harbor snapped his razor open, lifted it over his head, and threw it. It cartwheeled end over end through the air until it found a home in Ryle's skull, splitting her face in two. Her body crashed into a table, sending several inkwells splashing into the air to mix with the blood spraying from her mangled head. Mmm, came a voice from Marla, drawing Baz's attention back to her. But while the voice issued from Marla's mouth, it wasn't her own, but that of a man. Such pretty body this one has, yes! The voice was crazed, out of control, and Marla's expression contorted to match it. Baz's body went rigid at the sound, as it reminded him of the voices that had echoed through his head that night he'd cast the shadow spell to save Rox and Deliritus. For an instant, a moan in Marla's own voice escaped her lips. Then her head snapped back and a new voice spoke from her mouth. This sounded like a mature woman lecturing a child. Such disdain she has in her, it feels good. Marla's face twisted once more, and now she spoke in the tone of an arrogant aristocrat. She's so confused, I almost feel bad for her. Next instant, her voice changed again, now a woman's seducing tone that felt like hot breath on the back of the neck. Don't worry, my dear. It will be over soon. This ought to be entertaining. Still another voice came from Marla's throat, this sounding like a gleeful child. For several moments, there was no more sound. Marla just knelt there before Baz, eyes wide with horror. Then her mouth gaped open, emitting a deep, basso laugh. Baz put hands over his ears. What was happening? What were these voices, and how were they all coming out of Marla? Again, there was an extended silence. Then still another voice issued from Marla. Objectively, it was the least objectionable of any that had come before, sounding like a calm, older man, placid and soothing. Yet in its tranquility lay some dark evil that horrified Baz more than all the other voices combined. But my friends, look deeper. This one has not mastered the powers of the elements. She is of no use to us. Practically, before the voice ceased to speak, Marla's skin began to flake off. First, Baz thought the light was just playing tricks, but then bone began to show through her cheeks, and moments later her entire body just began to crumble, as if it was turning to sand. Before long, Marla was just gone, a pile of dust where she'd been. A second later, a gentle wind blew across the platform and the dust was whisked away. Silence. Baz shook from a mixture of adrenaline and terror. What had just happened? This one is much better. Baz convulsed. That voice had come from his own mouth, though he hadn't spoken. 
the same placid voice as had come from Marla's mouth moments before. Get out of my head, Baz shouted into the darkness. He began to sprint back toward the sanctum, desperate to get off the platform. But after just a few steps, his legs ceased to respond. He toppled forward, crashing onto his face as his arms also ceased to obey him. Once more, he tasted blood. This one has great power, one of the other voices spoke through Baz's mouth, his lips moving involuntarily, red spittle spraying onto the stone platform. Baz thought he sensed just the slightest hint of surprise in the murmurs of approval that sounded in a myriad of voices inside his skull. You can't have me, motherless worms! But even as he thought the insult, Baz's vision began to darken. He spasmed again as once more a voice not his own spoke from his throat, crying in a petulant woman's tone for him to be silent. He desperately tried to urge his body forward, but all ability to move had left him. His vision faded further until he could see nothing at all. His last thought was that at least Tessa hadn't lied to him. There truly was some unspeakable evil dwelling within the bowels of Tome. Darkness consumed him. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Sunday, June 19th, 2022, as I record this episode 23 of the book club. Uh, as always, the personal update first, and then we'll launch into our analysis. Spent a lot of time this week kind of, I don't know, just busy on a bunch of last-minute admin stuff for Declaimer's Flight's launch, book three of the Spoken Books Uprising. But uh, it's now out and available in ebook and paperback uh, at most places where you buy books uh, online. So if uh, you are interested, you can go grab your copy today. Um, she said, at this point, this is the fourth book I've released uh, and the third one in the Spoken Books Uprising series. So it's kind of just uh, business as usual. I guess in the back of my mind, I still... Part of me, I guess, still expects big fireworks on release day, but this was book three <clears throat> of a series, so, you know, not quite as much fanfare around a, around a book that that's uh, three books into a series. You know, it's the, the people who have read the first two are lining up to get that one, and then it's kind of just uh, back into back to digging the next ditch here and letting the sales slowly trickle in as people start up with the series and read through. Um... So dealing with that, <laughs> just a little. Uh, not uh, not saying I'm disappointed in the release, but uh, you know, managing expectations, right? You know, I sold uh, I sold a decent number of books here the past couple of days, so happy with that. The words are the words are getting out there. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, just a quick note here: uh, you should be able to check out the ebook from your library as well. At least a lot of libraries. It's available through several of the larger applications that libraries use to uh, borrow ebooks. So, so check that out if you are a uh, frequent user of your library system. 
And uh, if you prefer physical copies, I I doubt my books are in very many libraries right now, but uh, it's in the appropriate channels, so you could ask your librarian to order you a copy for your local library if you prefer that. And uh, if, for those of you wondering, uh, I do so I I do receive compensation for uh, library borrows, so don't feel like you're doing me wrong or anything by utilizing your local library. I definitely encourage uh, encourage people to use the library. They are uh, uh, great places for for many reasons. So uh, definitely check that out uh, if you're someone who likes to borrow books from the library. Uh, and now that Declaimer's Flight is officially out, I am back to working on book four, which feels good. It's kind of been a while since I uh, was working on new material because I was on vacation and then getting book three here ready. So back on book four, uh, that's called Declaimer's Stand. Um, and that picks up uh, a couple weeks after the conclusion of book three with Baz and his friends once more on the run. <laughs> Uh, I won't say uh, much more than that, so uh, so as not to give spoilers, but I do think this one's lining up to be one of my best books yet, so I'm uh, excited to get it all wrapped up here and out to you. Um, official release date on that is going to be September 16th, so we are just rolling right along with the, with the releases about every three months here. Um, it is available for pre-order if, uh, if you are so interested. You can pre-order from most of the usual websites online, uh, Amazon, Apple, Google, uh, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, uh, several others. <clears throat> um, as I mentioned before, my vacation, uh, I am done with the first draft of that, and so now I'm editing and addressing all the comments I left for myself in the margins, you know, go back and foreshadow this, fact, che fact check that, etc., um, you know, usually, I think I've talked about my drafting process a little before on the show, but, um, usually rather than go back and make small or even larger fixes when I'm drafting, I usually just like to get it all out. I want a complete draft, even if it has some things that need to be corrected. So usually if I, if I write something, I'm like, oh, I need to probably set that up a little more for it to make sense. I'll just drop a comment and, you know, tell myself to go back and foreshadow this or uh, add something earlier or, you know, make sure, make sure I did something that I think I did that set something up, you know, just to make sure it's not coming out of the blue. And then once I'm done with the first draft, I go back and address all those comments. And then usually by the time that second pass is done, I've got pretty, pretty complete, uh, manuscript that doesn't need a lot of work substantively. Just got to go back and clean up minor things, fix some typos. Uh, get my editor's eyes on it, and then it is good to go. So that's where I am in the drafting process now, addressing all those uh, comments. In fact, uh, here, uh, if you were watching on the YouTubes, here's the uh, list of my comments. I, I like to print them out, and then I check them off. You know, I get the little uh, dopamine hit whenever I check something off as finished. So about six pages of comments here to work through. So... Let's see, how many comments total? 53. That's not actually too many. I've had more on other books. So <clears throat> there you go. There's your behind-the-curtain look uh, this week. So let's move on to discussing Chapter 28 that we just listened to, the climax uh, of the story. So we left off last week with Marla's reappearance, this time in Undertome. 
and we now quickly find out that Helhar is with her as well. You know, likely uh, he saw Emma reveal the door earlier when he exposed Baz to the cityless. So that's uh, that would seem how they've they've gotten down here. Uh, whether Marla was with Helhar and Baz just didn't see her. Or Helar ran and, and, and got Marla. Um, it's not clear. It doesn't really matter. But they're both here now, and they have taken Emma hostage. And we've also got Trunnel up there. Remember, he is Helar's influencer speaker. He's, uh, he's influencing rocks, kind of putting him in a trance, keeping him from attacking uh, anyone up there. Um, you know, both Helar and Marla are obviously you know more than interested in all the books they see out there beyond the darkness in the peninsula. And uh, Marla wants the room cleared. You know, obviously she uh, she wants as few people in there because they're in a bit of a precarious position, right? They've kind of just marched in. They probably weren't expecting to find a whole city down here. And now they're surrounded by potential enemies. Um, but they've got Emma hostage, and she's like, well, I want the room cleared. And when Tessa doesn't comply, she, you know, kills one of her scriveners in pretty grisly fashion, reads this, spell to her speaker and just squeezes squeezes a guy down in the uh, sanctum florida pulp with roots um kind of uh we see here despite her gruff exterior you know tessa tessa obviously cares for her people and she's concerned about her daughter right because she she does order everyone away <laughs> after that rather than uh risking uh further murder murder for marla but uh once the room clears, you know, Mahler's like, you know, I want, I want those books. And now, now we have kind of a big problem here because, you know, if we believe what Tessa told us in the previous chapter about what's out there uh, beyond that barrier on the peninsula, um, you know, she can give any of those books to Marla even if she wanted to. Well, Marla doesn't know that, right? She just thinks Tessa is refusing to turn over her, her fortune of books. Um, so it looks like, you know, Emma... Emma is a uh, is a short short in the remainder life remaining lifespan here. Uh, that is uh, until Baz Baz does something. You know our uh, our hero here strikes again, and you know this is one of the reasons I like Baz so much. He's got a lot of uh, well in the writing biz we call it agency, right? You know he he does things that determines his own fate. You know things well things certainly happen to Baz, but you know sometimes um, if you're ever reading a story and you know you don't really necessarily have anything against the plot, but there's just, you feel like there's something missing. A lot of the time it's because things happen to the hero instead of the hero causing things to happen. Um, and that's certainly not the case with Baz. Baz makes lots of choices uh, on his own that make things happen. You know, we saw that all the way back, uh, deciding to save Deliritus from that city list back at the beginning of the book. Um, to reading that spell to again save Deliritus from Marla and Hellar, his decision to complete the trials for Deliritus. And now here, uh, my heading for this section is, why can't Baz just keep his eyes down and mouth shut? You know, so Baz, Baz sees the issue here, the lust in Marla's eyes when she looks at the books out there beyond the dark peninsula. And, uh, you know, she is not going to believe Tessa that, you know, Tessa can't get to them. You know, and likely she's going to kill Emma next, like I said. So Baz does something, as we've all seen now. You know, deep down, I guess this is another reason we like Baz, right? You know, he wants to do the right thing, even if he doesn't really admit to himself 
that that's what he wants to do. Bez is always just saying, you know, well, I'm just, I'm just doing this to stay alive. Well, you know, maybe not here, Bez, because you're putting yourself at, uh, <laughs> at big risk here, right? But he just can't stand there and uh, watch uh, poor Emma get killed <clears throat> by Marla. So he, uh, he pretends to be a subservient speaker, which, I don't know, I guess you could criticize me here a little. Why would Marla... Uh, with what Marla seems to know about Baz, believe that he has suddenly become a, a groveling speaker. But I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, the hubris will be your downfall, right? You know, Marla's an arrogant speaker <clears throat> at the end of the day, so she believes that Baz is uh, cowering before her. And he uh, he tricks her to coming down to the sanctum floor, right? Um, he's like, oh, I... You know, first he's like, oh, they killed Deliritus, you know, to explain why Deliritus isn't there. So then Baz is kind of covering for Deliritus too, right? Um, and then when Marla's like, well, just walk out there and get me one of the books then if you've seen how to do it. And Baz is like, well, no, uh, you need a reader and a speaker to do it to access the books, which is just a lie, right? He didn't see anything like that. But Marla, Marla doesn't know that. So, you know, she's like, fine, I will, I'll come down. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, part of this is, again, you know, she is so eager to get her hands on some of these books, you know, because remember, books are uh, books are a rare commodity here in this world. If we go back to the beginning, you know, Torchsire Library had like this one bookshelf of books. Um, those are all the books they have, and, you know, even that was apparently considered a fortune. And now we have, you know, this endless wall of bookshelves that they're seeing. This is probably more books than anyone has ever seen in one place in their entire lives. So Marla, maybe not thinking quite clearly here, she just wants to get her hands on, on those treasures out there in the darkness. Um, you know, and of course Tessa's like, "What are you doing, Baz?" You know, she doesn't see it yet, but you know, Baz is a uh, Baz is showing some change here, right? He's actually putting some trust in Tessa, um, believing what she said. Remember, Tessa told us in the last chapter that uh, you know, bad things happen when people go out there onto the peninsula. So that's uh, that would seem to be what Baz is doing. He's trying to lower, lure uh, Marla out there because that's really the only thing Baz can do, right? Baz isn't going to kill Marla on his own. <laughs> so he's, uh, you know, he's using the resources available to him. Um, and of course, uh, at this point, Hellar chimes in, right? He's like, well, me, hold on there, Marla. I want some books too. And Marla's like, well, sure, we'll, we'll share... Uh, we'll share all these books, Hellar. Sure, no problem, my friend. Uh, but it, you know, it seems here that Marla uh, sees her chance to solidify her trial's victory. Instead of taking Hellar with her, she uh, she spins on him. Probably, you can picture this, you know, ruthless smile still on her face, and uh, uh, slices his throat. You know, she's got her rapier out already, so she just turns around and attacks him. You know, Hellar does not see it coming. Uh, and uh, Hellar, Hellar expires, a rather inauspicious end for him. Uh, but as Baz insinuated a while back, you know, that's what he gets for making an alliance with a, a rabid dog he couldn't control, right? You'll, uh, you might recall Baz comparing Marla to a rabid animal back in, I don't know, chapter 10 or so. Remember that scene where she, you know, she was kicking her speaker for a mistake that she made, <laughs> and then Baz, uh, uh, Baz uh, yelled <laughs> yelled at her and uh, almost got himself gutted before Rox intervened. So uh, there you go. Maybe not surprising that Marla turns on Hellar in the end here. And then she also uh, 
you know, she's she's a quick thinker though, right? Because when she kills Helar, that means Trunnell is not reading his influencing spell over rocks anymore. But she has her speaker root rocks to the ground before rocks can kind of come back to his senses. So she still has a firm grasp on the situation up there when she descends down to the sanctum floor and uh, to Baz. So the this is the now you die section. Uh, Baz leads Marla out onto the platform now once she's down there and after she slaps him across the face, right? Um, you know, for, you know, that was for earlier, she said, you know, that impudence Baz showed to her earlier. And, you know, be thankful I didn't take your eyes. Uh, you know, certainly, <laughs> certainly uh, Marla's not doing anything to endear herself to us even now. So we are, uh, um, I assume no one out there is particularly upset with what happens here next. Uh, though Baz gets her out there onto the platform, and initially it looks like he has made a mistake putting his trust in Tessa. You know, nothing happens. Marla gets pissed, right? And she's about to, uh, you know, she's about to kill Baz because she realizes he's just been kind of, uh, he's been toying with her. He didn't actually um, know how to get the books. Uh, he wasn't actually uh, afraid of her or uh, being subservient, just playing a game. Uh, so she's about to, she's about to kill him, right? You know, she even, she raises her sword up over her head that's going to descend and cut Baz's throat just like she did to Hellar. But then this black mist kind of just puffs up from the abyss floor, just, you know, just wafting up from the, from the ground, you know, doesn't really look all that dangerous or anything. And it floats into Marla right before she's about to, you know, uh, slice uh, Baz's throat here, and then she begins to convulse, and she starts screaming, uh, you know, what's going on here? Uh, of course, her harbor, Ryle, uh, you know, always the reaction is to keep keep uh, your speaker safe, so Ryle kind of uh, jumps the barrier here and rushes toward Marla to save her, but they have made a bit of a mistake here, right? You know, you'll, you'll see um, <clears throat> earlier, I note how um, the spell that Marla spoke to root rocks to the ground was shorter than the one she used to crush the, the Scrivener at the beginning of the chapter, so obviously not as complete of a rooting spell as earlier. So they've just really, like, stuck Rox's feet to the ground, and he still has his arms free. So when Ryle bounds down to the sanctum floor, Rox uh, extends his razor and throws it at her, right? You know, you can see the... The big blade cartwheeling through the air, and it uh, splits Ryle's head in two. So that's the end uh, of Marla's speaker. And kind of once again, Baz is, or Rox has helped out Baz, right? Because you got to think Baz probably wasn't going to survive an encounter um, with Ryle. So Rox continuing uh, to look out for for Baz here. Um, so after her harbor dies, Marla continues screaming. Um, and then she stops abruptly and she speaks, but, uh, she's not speaking in her own voice. You know, other different voices are coming out of her instead, you know, kind of like she's possessed. Uh, in all, there are seven different voices. We've got a crazed man, a mature woman lecturing, uh, the arrogant aristocrat, the seductive woman, a gleeful child, uh, a man with a deep basso voice. And then the horrifying, placid man. Uh, and what does uh, what does Baz tell us about these voices? Well, he says it reminds him 
of the voices that he heard when he cast uh, the shadow spell earlier in the book. Remember, he kind of heard these murmuring voices in his head when he was casting that. Um, and, you know, where uh, where else have we heard strange voices, too? Well, back in the prologue, which we now know was uh, Prant V. Luxdor, when he was imprisoning the Dark Ones in Tome, we learned that in the last chapter, and now we're out uh, in this dark peninsula where Tessa told us the Dark Ones are, in fact, imprisoned. So um, I don't come right out and say it, but I think you can kind of uh, extrapolate here at this point that these are the voices of the Dark Ones. These, uh, you know, whether they're demons or very just very powerful men, or it's, it's still not entirely clear what exactly the Dark Ones are, but whoever they are, it would seem to be that these are the Dark Ones speaking through Marla's body, kind of a uh, kind of creepy uh, here, the kind of like spirits that can uh, that can uh, take a, take on a host. It would seem, um, though it's interesting because the Dark Ones ultimately conclude that Marla is of no use to them because she hasn't mastered the powers of the elements. You know, in other words, because she is not a speaker. Um, so moments later, she just disintegrates into dust. So again, you know, Tessa. Tessa was not exaggerating here, it would seem. You do not want to go out onto this peninsula. <laughs> uh, bad things definitely happen to you out there. Um, and then uh, the Dark Ones, uh, obviously they leave her body since it kind of just blows away there on the wind. And then where do they go? Well, they go into Baz next. He's the only other one out there. Um, and then they start talking through him to Baz's uh, horror. You know, his mouth is moving, uh, but it's not his voice coming out. You know, uh, one of them says through Baz's mouth, you know, this one is much better. He has great power. In fact, I think I used the crazy voice in the actual narration for that one. But uh, but there you go. So, you know, he's been possessed, like I said. And what are they talking about here? Um, you know, what do they mean? Baz is much better. Still not entirely clear. I mean, I guess it seems pretty obvious they're looking for a speaker, right? So I guess they want someone who has... Uh, the power within themselves to unlock the elements rather than having to read to someone else. Uh, remember, Tessa did reveal in the last chapter that pretty much anyone <clears throat> has the ability to both speak and read. But uh, as she also told us, you know, if you aren't born with kind of this, you know, if you aren't born kind of like already primed to call forth the power of the elements, then, um, you know, you would need to train at it. And that's why most of the readers never, you know, they don't, they haven't discovered this lie, right? Why? That's why the lies be unable to perpetuate after a few generations, you know, it's easier to believe because either you've got people who <clears throat> are born with the power and they are all made speakers or, um, if they're not born with this kind of innate ability, then they never undertake the necessary training because they don't know that it's possible. So they, uh, never unlock their potential. So, you know, Marla was in that latter category. She was just a reader, never uh, <clears throat> learned her ability <laughs> to call forth on the elements. So apparently the Dark Ones aren't interested in that. Um, you know, they do They do seem to make a point of how much power Baz has, which is interesting, right? Because, you know, to this point, <clears throat> no one's, you know, obviously Baz has uh, power in the sense that he can read and speak, um, whereas most people in the society cannot do that, but kind of get the sense that maybe, excuse me, maybe they mean a little something more than that, but don't get any more detail on that. Um, 
at this point, um, other than, you know, they're like a parasite trying to take over a host here. Um, you know, what happens and what happens then? You know, what if they do take take him over? Um, you know, are they going to be able to like walk out of tome? Uh, you know, that seems like a fair guess, right? Like why else would they be trying to take take over a host body if not to escape their prison? But, um, you know, again, we're going to have to wait and see the full implications of that not made clear here at this point you know and uh as ever the fighter to the end here you know he you know you can't have me well at least he thinks that he doesn't have control over his mouth here anymore or his arms or legs you know he can't can't move total loss of control over his body he actually kind of tries to sprint away and then just kind of face plants uh onto the peninsula there because he you know he can't use his muscles anymore and then uh the end of the chapter here he just passes out he uh descends into darkness i think uh what's the last line or the darkness consumed him yes darkness consumed him that's how the chapter ends so uh what happened have the dark ones gotten him have they actually possessed him um we don't know uh well we will soon we will find out next week when we read chapter 29 we'll see what happened to baz then um Probably not too much of a spoiler, but Baz does not die. <laughs> this is not Game of Thrones. I have not killed off the main character here, but, uh, you know, how did he get out of this situation? We'll have to wait and find out until next week. So there you go. We'll read Chapter 29 and then discuss that again on the next episode. Um, no listener questions this week, but I did get a nice comment on Twitter from Jan. Uh, she said she's been enjoying listening to these post-narration analysis sections each week. So thank you very much, Jan. That is uh, nice to hear. You know, every once in a while, uh, the self-doubt kind of creeps in. And uh, I wonder if anyone cares about what I'm speaking into the microphone here alone in my tiny home office. So it's <laughs> it's good to know that I am just, uh, I'm not just speaking into the void there. So thanks again uh, for the kind words. Um, and, uh, as always, if anyone has any questions or comments, they'd like me to share and or answer on a future episode of the podcast. You can, uh, email those to me, dtkane at dtkane.com, or, uh, like Jan did, you can also send me a message or a tweet, uh, on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, you don't send tweets on Facebook. That's a, another, that's a pro tip there, pro social media tip. Uh, I am at DT Kane author on Twitter. Uh, all right. This week's quote uh, comes from Mr. Neil Gaiman and his uh, story, uh, Cor- I think it's Coraline. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Someone go ahead and correct me um, if that's incorrect. But uh, the quote is, fairy tales are more than true. Not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Then, as always, I wrote my little accompanying essay here. Where would we be without imagination? I'd argue that we wouldn't exist as a species. There would be no innovation, no progress, and, most importantly, no joy. Without imagination, we'd lack the capacity to dream. And if there's one thing that's responsible for giving life meaning, isn't it dreaming? 
What are accomplishments but fiction made truth? The act of pulling from the ether a reality that didn't exist until you put in the work to make it manifest. So, the next time someone turns their nose up at that fantasy novel you're reading, remember this and smile, for you grasp the power of imagination, the ability to create reality, actual magic. All right, so there you go. Uh, If you like these little essays and the quotes, um, I would love to hear uh, reactions, both good and bad, frankly, any reactions at all. Um, email me, dtkane at dtkane.com. And if you have a uh, favorite quote from a fantasy movie or novel or short story, any sort of fantasy-type work, and I'm willing to use an expansive definition of fantasy here, uh, send me your favorite quote, dtkane at dtkane.com. And uh, if I enjoy it as much as you, I will uh, feature it on a future episode and newsletter, and I'll write my weekly essay about it. So send those in if you've got them. And that's all for this week. So until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.